something was missing. Something's missing. Something's not right. Okay. Um, we have a lot of talent in this church, and we uh, we've made a Karen and I made a commitment to to ourselves and, and to the Lord to to better utilize the talent we've got in the church. So you'll be getting an email in the next couple of weeks because if you've got a musical ability, we want you to fess up. Okay. I want you to come clean about that. We want you to help us worship the Lord, okay? So uh, you be praying about that and thinking about that. Okay, all of you have seen Narnia, right? Everybody seen the movie, Narnia? No? A lot, a lot of people have seen it? Okay. You know, it's based on C.S. Lewis's novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And four children pass through the portal in the back of this magical wardrobe and find themselves in the land of Narnia and they discover that in the land of Narnia Aslan is the king right and Aslan has been gone and but Aslan is now on the move and he's, he's coming back and he's gonna deal with the white witch who has been terrorizing Narnia now the children run into Mr. and Miss Beaver now that's your first problem right we got talking beavers but they run into Mr. and Miss Beaver, and they're still faithful, faithful to the king, and they assure the children that Aslan is coming back. And Aslan will set all things right. And Lucy asks, well, is he a man? Do you remember this part? Is he a man? Certainly not, said Mr. Beaver. He's the king of the wood. He's the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Aslan is what? He's a lion. He's a great lion. Susan asks, well, is he safe? Is he quite safe? I will be nervous to meet a lion. And Miss Beaver said, quite right, dearie, you would be nervous. No one can stand before Aslan without their knees knocking. He's a fearsome, fearsome God. Then Lucy said this, is he safe? Do you remember that? I think it may be my favorite line in the whole book. And I, I, I think it's in the movie. I'm pretty sure it's in the movie. Lucy says, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But what? He's good. Right? I think it's a perfect introduction to our text tonight. I love the line, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Any superficial reader of the Bible would quickly deduce that walking with God is not always safe. If you simply superficially read through the Bible, you get that, right? You get that. One theologian said it like this, the Christian lives his life before the wild, dangerous, unfettered, and free character of God. Friends, Jesus Christ is not always safe, but He is good. He is good. And I think this is one reason that men have taken this and they've tried to turn it into dead religion. I think this is one reason. It's because Jesus Christ is not safe. Jesus Christ is not manageable. Jesus Christ will not be managed. You cannot put Him in a box. He will not stay in the box. He's God Almighty. He's Aslan. He's the Lion of Judah, right? He's the Lion of Judah and men try to take this and they try to turn it into dead religion but you can't make true 
genuine Christianity into dead religion. It's impossible. You can't do that with Jehovah God. There's a wildness to our God. And I love that about Him. So, the question is, if we really believe Jesus Christ, if we really follow Jesus Christ, if we really obey Jesus Christ, if we really exercise faith in what He tells us to do, will we be Daniel or will we be Stephen? Do you know the, the analogy I'm drawing here? What happened to Daniel? Daniel was miraculously delivered, right? What happened to Stephen? Stephen was stoned. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. So which one would it be for us if we radically believe Christ? I have no idea. That's, between, that's God's business, right? That's God's business. But I know something that's more important than that question. If we really believe Christ, if we really follow Him, if we really obey Him, if we really exercise faith in Him, we will live. Friends, we will live. This Bible right here, it's about life. It's about the life of God. It's about, it's about the life that God comes to give His redeemed. Right? It's about God-sized life. The Scripture, there's a thousand references in here about life. There are things like, well, let me give you a couple of phrases that I just picked out at random. The breath of life, the tree of life, the path of life, the fountain of life, the springs of life, the way of life, the well of life, the statutes of life, the bread of life, the word of life, the book of life, the promise of life, the crown of life, the river of water of life. And we've seen it over and over and over as we've gone through the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and what? In Him, what? Was life. John 10.10, 10, I came that they might have life, and that they might have it abundantly. John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus tells His 11 men tonight that the world will try to kill them. Okay? He's going to tell them that. They are, and, and you know from church tradition, most of you know this, that 10 of the 11 guys died violent deaths in, prop in propagating the gospel. You know this, right? Ten of the 11 standing here tonight in this passage in John 16 will, will die a violent death. Jesus Christ is not always safe. But friends, He's always life. And I want you to hear me say that. I want you to hear me say that. How many of you read this book that we used to give away? We do have more coming. Um, uh, don't waste your life. Uh, have any of you read that book? I, it's one of the best books I've ever read. And in that book, John Piper has a, title, has a chapter entitled, Risk is Right. It's better to lose your life than to waste it. That's the title of the book, Don't Waste Your Life. Be a real Christian. Right? Be a real Christian. Don't waste your life. In the opening sentence of that chapter, Piper writes this, If our single, all-embracing passion is to make much of Christ, which is what Christians do, right? To make much of Christ in life or in death... And, and if the life that magnifies Him the most is a life of costly, sacrificial love, he says this, then the Christian's life is risk. I want you to hear this. If you're going to walk with God, friends, there's going to be risk. There's going to be cost. Jesus is clear about that. There's no miscommunication in the Scriptures. Piper says the Christian's life will be risk, and it's right it's right to risk on the Word of God. It's right to, to, to risk in obedience to the Word of God. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you have been, been, been in that place with God. Piper is merely echoing what David and Paul says. 
Paul in Psalm 63, 3, the loving kindness of the Lord is better than life. In Philippians 1, 21, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's this liberating, joyous, freeing mindset when you think biblically. Okay? When you think biblically, when you think like David and Paul, when you're prepared to die well, friends, then you can live well. You understand? Then you can live well. You say, well, Jim, I understand Jesus is talking about martyrdom here in John 16, and that's really not on my calendar. I don't see that happening. That's not reality to me. But what I want to say to you, the overriding, overarching principle is the same. If you really believe Him and obey Him, you will encounter risk. You may suffer temporal loss. There will be some cost. It's true. It's universal. It's biblical. It will happen. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. Friends, there's no such thing as risk-free Christian obedience. It's an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron. There'll always be a temporal cost. Friends, sometimes Jesus is not safe. But man, is He good. And man, does He give God-sized life to those who follow Him. He'll fill you up. He'll fill you up. Chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that you may be kept from stumbling. Now what are these things? These things are the things that Jesus has been talking about for the last ten verses. We've covered them over the last two or three weeks. That the world will hate them. The world will persecute them because they belong to Him. Jesus is saying it will not always be easy to go with Me. It will not always be comfortable. It will not always be safe. This is what He's saying. But He's saying, I will always be God-sized life to your soul. doesn't matter. You know, we saw this in Hebrews 11 doesn't matter if God delivers or if God allows us to perish. God's doing what He needs to do. God's doing what, what God determines to do. And it's for His glory and it's for our joy. We talked in depth about that in Hebrews 11. And God is warning, Jesus is warning them that they may not stumble. The Greek word here uh, for stumble gives the connotation of a trap. And I want you to hear this. It gives the connotation of a trap. The world is setting a trap for the Christian. Satan is setting a trap for the Christian. I love what John MacArthur says about this. He says, true followers of Christ, he says, he says, we are not carefree kids running through the park with balloons. Now, I don't want to diminish the fact that there's, there's, there's incredible, unspeakable joy in the life of the Christian. But friends, if we read our Bibles, we understand that sometimes it's hard. We don't have this Pollyanna view of Christianity. Sometimes it's hard to stand and do what Jesus tells us to do. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's really costly. Sometimes it's expensive. We have an adversary. You know what Peter said about him in 1 Peter 5.8? Be sober of spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion. He seeks someone to devour. And friends... He's not just seeking anyone to devour. He's seeking Christians. He's seeking to devour Christians. He wants to stumble you. He wants it to get hard in your life and He wants you to lose faith in Christ. He wants it, when it gets hard in your life, He wants you to shrink back. He wants you to doubt the power and goodness of God. That's what He wants. That's the trap He's setting for you. That's the trap that Satan 
is setting for you. He wants you to do what Job's wife told Job to do. Do you remember? Curse God and die, she said. Satan wants to set that trap for you. And Jesus says, I'm warning you about sometimes it's going to be hard if you love me. Sometimes it's going to be hard if you follow after me. Jesus says, I'm warning you because it's going to seem like a trap. And Satan wants to trap you and he wants to destroy your faith. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. This is what, you know, we saw it two weeks ago in 2 Timothy 3.12. It's not that a few of us will suffer persecution or that, or that some of us will or that most of us will. What, did, what does the Bible say? 2 Timothy uh, 3.12 All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Friends, it's, it's a universal truth. It's a universal truth. And we talked about this too. God doesn't intend for us to merely endure it. He intends for us to be victorious in it. Right? He intends for us to be victorious in it. Okay, I told you about the adversary that was seeking to devour us. And this is what God says in the next two verses after that. 1 Peter 5, 8 and, and 1 Peter 5, 9 and 10, God says this. But resist the devil, is what he says. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. He's saying this is a universal thing. This is a universal thing. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I love that last line. God himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Don't you dare fall in Satan's trap. Don't you dare doubt God's goodness and God's power. Friends, he means for you to believe him. He means for you to hang on. I don't care how hard it gets. He means for you to do it. And then he means to glorify, your, glorify himself in your life. And people in the world are going to see you going through a hard thing and they're going to see you loving Christ and obeying Christ and they're going to say, wow, that's real faith. That's just not dead religion. That's real stuff. I want to get part of that. I want to know how to live like a real man of God or like a real woman of God. I want to live like it's real, like it matters every day. Because it does matter. It does matter, friends. It matters every single day. I've got to share with you what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4. Friends, Friends, yes, there is risk and there is costs. But Paul tells us and God tells us that the risks are only temporal. The rewards are what? Eternal. These momentary light afflictions are working an eternal weight of glory. Friends, let us not shrink back when it gets hard with God. When it gets hard with God. You have all that you need to walk with Aslan. The question is, will you walk with the Lion of Judah? That's really the issue. He's given you all you need. We've talked about it as we've gone through the last several chapters. The Lord Jesus has mentioned the Holy Spirit about four times and He's talked in depth about the Holy Spirit and He says, I've given you the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the third member of the Godhead. You have all that you need to stand the trap of Satan and to stand the persecution and hatred of the world. If it comes to you, you have all you need. Right? So the question is, will you believe God? Will you trust God? Will you obey? Will you claim His promises? And will you act? Friends, obedience is never going to be completely risk-free. It's never going to be. There's always going to be some 
You can, in almost any act of obedience, you can say, well, there's a risk there. God means for you to obey me. God means for you to walk with Aslan. He means for you to be fearless. He means for you to be bold. He's given you everything that you need to live like a son and daughter of God. I, I'll share one brief thing, one personal thing with you. Uh, when I was struggling about my decision to go to seminary, I was to leave my business career and do that at the age of 42. A friend wrote me a letter, and he told me to act. I love this friend. He said, Jim, you must act. If you believe God's calling you, you must act. Don't you love friends like that? And I knew he was right, but then he said something I've never forgotten. He said, you must act now. He said, for in a few moments, you'll be with him. Friends, we know we're vapors on the earth. We know we're shadows on the planet. You, we barely have enough time to do what he says. We need to do it. We need to act for in a few moments. We will be in his presence. Verse 2, Jesus says, They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. The Jews are going to unsynagogue the disciples. Now this is a complete, as you know, I'm sure most of you know, this is a complete disaster for a Jew. This is the nuclear option. They are completely cut off from all cultural, social, economic sustenance and connection. It is, it is oblivion for a Jew. It is absolute oblivion for a Jew to be cut off from the synagogue. And Jesus says, they're going to cut you off. They're going to excommunicate you from the synagogue. Not only that, they're going to execute you for my sake. They're going to take you out and execute you for my sake. And he's talking to these men standing around him. And we know that, people, that Christians are still martyred in the world. And as we've said two or three times in the last couple of weeks, we don't, have, we don't run that risk. Praise God. In the West, we don't run that risk. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. He says, men will kill you and think they're rendering service to God. And I want to say this about, I want to say this about false religion. You name any world religion, major or minor, you can include false Christianity in that. You'll find one thing to be true in every one of them. They are at odds with Jesus Christ. They are at odds with the Word of God. Just mark it down. They are at odds. That is the mark of a man-made religion. And it was man-made religion. When God came, religion in the name of God killed God. You see how dangerous dead religion is? You see? It's, it's exceedingly dangerous. You can see it in the world. You can see it in the world. How dangerous it is. So why do men do this? Verse 3. Verse 3. And these things they will do because they have not what? What does it say? They have not known the Father or me. Every world religion, including false Christianity, will, prof will profess to seek and love God, but there's one non-negotiable, irreducible litmus test, and that's how you feel about Christ. Now, you can be religious with Christ all day long, but Jesus says, if you were of God, you would love me. And friends, there's a world of difference between being religious and loving God. Any amens on that? Okay, I got a couple. There's a world of difference. 
God's not impressed with our religion. He never is. Even if it's orthodox. God's looking at the heart. God wants to be in love relationship. That's Christianity, right? That's Christianity. Jesus says, if you were of God, you would love me. And you remember what he told him in John 8, 44 and 47? He says, he who is of God hears me. You do not hear me because you do not belong to God. You are of your father, the devil. Now, Jesus told this to the religious, uh, Jewish religious leaders who were the, some of the most religious men who ever walked the face of the planet. They kept 600 laws every day. Jesus says, you don't know me. You don't love me. You're of your father, the devil. That's pretty strong. That's what the Lord Jesus told these religious men. That's what he told them. I heard one theologian say this in seminary, and I, I'm, I, I'm signing on to this statement. I believe it 100%. He says, Satan spends 99.9% .9 of his time in churches, temples, mosques, cathedrals, shrines, sanctuaries, and kapodas. Kapodas. Get that right. Not the lawnmower. False religion is his best weapon. False religion is Satan's best weapon. False, this, this man, what the Jews did to, to Judaism, turning it into a man-made system, what they did is, is, this is what happens. When God came to them, they killed God. Okay? I just want us to, I want us to understand the difference here. You say, well, Jim, I'm not, I'm not in physical danger here. And yes, that's right, we're not in the same, the same set of circumstances that, that these men are, but there will be a cost in following Christ. Uh, you may remember the, the parable in, in Luke 14 where Jesus talks about the fact that there will be a cost in following Him. And, and I want to share with you just a real brief uh, excerpt from one of C.S. Lewis's uh, books. He talks about, he's using the sea as an analogy for God. Okay, you got that? The sea is God. He's using the sea as an analogy for God. And then he writes this. Men go down to the sea and they neither dive nor swim nor float, but only dabble and splash. Friends, I don't want us to be dabblers and I don't want us to be splashers, okay? We're, we didn't, Karen and I didn't move here to Milan, Italy to pastor a church and lead a church and teach a church that's just going to dabble and splash. I just soon go back to Little Rock, okay? We, we don't want that. We don't want that. We want to be real, we be real people of God. And Lewis goes on, uh, to dabble and splash, careful not to get out of their depth and holding a lifeline which connects them to all things temporal. You see, they're holding the line. They're scared to death. They're scared to death. They can't manage God. He's wild. They're in the sea, right? You get the imagery? Then he says this. It's a remarkable fact that on this subject, heaven and hell speak with one voice. The tempter says, take care how much it will cost you to follow Christ. But Jesus says the same thing, right? Jesus says, count the cost. Lewis says, between them it would seem to be pretty clear that dabbling and splashing is of little consequence. What matters, what heaven desires, and what hell fears is precisely that step, that further step, out of our depth, out of our control. Friends, are you risking anywhere for God? Anywhere. Anywhere in your life. Are you obeying Him in a sacrificial, costly way? Friends, that's what Jesus calls His people to do. That's what He's calling us to do. I love, I love this analogy here. 
To go with Aslan, you must let go of all things temporal. Let goods and kindred go this mortal life also, right? Wasn't that the words we just sang? Martin Luther? Friends, I, I, I hope you know what, I, what, I do, what I'm doing for a living. I'm, trying to, I'm, trying, I'm doing my best to communicate the Word of God because the Word of God will set you free. You know what I'm talking about? And we're all bound up and afraid and scared and we're living by the world's rules. But God wants to set us free. He wants to set us free. And He's going to set us free when, we'll, when we have the courage to obey Him. Friends, He wants us to jump into the sea and swim. He wants us to swim in the deeps. Yes, it's risky. But God is good. And God is life. I love what Lewis is saying here. Dabbling and splashing is of little consequence. It's of little consequence in the big scheme of things. True Christianity is not a dabbling, splashing kind of proposition. True Christianity is a, is a getting in the deep end kind of proposition. Okay? So, Jesus is calling us to get out of our depth, to let go of the lifeline, and to get out of our depth. Verse 4 through 6. But these things I have spoken to you that when... Their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus is forewarning them. We've already talked about this. He's forewarning. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. He says, I didn't tell you this in the beginning because I was always there protecting you. I took the brunt of the attack. I was always there protecting you. But now he's going away. And he's, he's forewarning them that the attack will come to them. The attack will come to them. And there's a great lesson here. There's a great lesson here. And I, we, we, we've touched on this several times in the Gospel of John. Friends, when you're a Christian, sometimes, sometimes in God's providence you laugh. You get to laugh till tears roll down your cheeks. And sometimes in the providences of God, you cry until tears roll down your cheeks. Friends, that's part of, that's part of life. But, but all of the time, God is God. And we've talked about this a hundred times from this pulpit. God is working good in that. You need to believe it. And you need to live it. God is working good even in this hard thing. Even in this costly thing. God is working for good. That's what Jesus says to him here in verse 7. What does he say? He says, I'm going. But then he says, but I tell you the truth. It is what? Why is he going? It is to what? Your advantage. Friends, if you're a believer, if you belong to Jesus Christ, it's all, whatever God's doing in your life, whether it be hard, whether it be soft, whether it be different, indifferent, whatever God's doing in your life is to what? It is. Does anyone believe that? Anyone? Okay. We have a few people. They believe. They actually believe. Uh, friends, you need to believe that. God is working it to your advantage. You need to know whether you're laughing or crying. God is at work. And I want to tell you what these disciples see. These disciples, Jesus said, your hearts are full of sorrow. And that's understandable. But they're seeing, they're, they see disaster. That's all they see is disaster. Now, how many of you have experienced personal disaster in your life of one kind or another? I have. I don't know. Maybe none of you have. But I have. And Jesus is saying, friends, when it looks bad, when it looks costly, when it looks risky, He's saying, 
You remember, you remember what Jacob did when he was wrestling with God? You remember what he did? He wouldn't let him go till what? Don't let go until God blesses you. Don't let go. Don't let Satan set that trap for you. Don't, don't shrink back. Don't doubt God. Trust God. Stand on God. Let Him be your refuge. Right? Let Him be your refuge. Their perspective was about all disaster. God's perspective is working good. We've been talking about the hands being on the clay. Sometimes God presses down hard. Right? And we feel it. But God is going to make a masterpiece of His children. And how often are you and I like, like these disciples here? We, we see disaster. And, and that's all we can do is, is, is obsess about, well, this disaster is going to happen. And we imagine it. And we think it's going to be terrible. And we don't stop and think, wait a minute. My God's God. And if even it gets hard, even if it gets hard, my God's God. Friends, next time it gets hard, remember, your God is God. And not only that, in an, in, inexplicably, He's working good in this hard thing. On the worst day of your life, God is working good. If you believe that, friends, you can weather any storm. You can weather any storm. This is what God does in the lives of His children. He turns those tears of sorrow into tears of joy. That's what He does. <laughs> he does that better than anybody else. He does that better so next time it gets hard, I want you to be expecting the goodness of God to be put on display in your life. I want you to just be looking for it. I want you to be looking for it. Even if you can't see it yet, you just keep looking for it. You keep anticipating that God is working this to what? Your advantage. Your advantage. I was sharing with somebody this week, and I forgot who. Uh, George Mueller says a great thing about being in hard circumstances. He says, uh, don't pray away the trial until you get the revelation. Anybody have you ever heard that? Don't pray away the trial until you hear from God. The trial is all about you hearing from God. The Christian has no worthless or meaningless pain. If there's pain in your life, God has allowed pain to come in because God wants you to hear from Him. Don't pray away the trial until you hear from God, until you get the revelation that God has you until you experience him in a new and more, and, and more profound way the disciples don't get this they're just like you and I are many many times they feel sad right now they feel alone right now they feel exposed right now they feel afraid right now friends God is not working on the short term God does not take the short view I know you and I do right we're always taking the short view well I'm hurting right now well, it's bad right now. Well, it's hard right now. Friends, God doesn't take the short view. God takes the long view. He's going to turn you into a replica of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, His life wasn't running through the park with a bouquet of balloons, was it? And our life's not going to be like that either. Not all the time. And I, and I don't want you to hear me be out of balance. I'm, I, I'll, I preach joy more than I preach persecution and trial, but when the text talks about it, friends, I, I, I'm going to preach it, right? And Jesus says, this is how it is in the world. But greater is He that is in you than what? Than is He that is in the world. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. So, if we really believe Christ, if we really follow Him, if we really obey Him, 
if we really exercise faith, will we be Daniel or will we be Stephen? Friends, ultimately it doesn't really matter. Ultimately that's God's business. Whether we're Daniel or whether we're Stephen. But what I want to say to you is, if we really believe Jesus Christ, if we really follow Him, if we really obey Him, if we really exercise faith in Him, we will live. Jesus Christ is not safe. He is not manageable. But He is good and He is life. John 10.10, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. I think the NIV says that you might have it to the full. I like that. You will have life to the full. Even the guy in Hebrews 11, they get sawn in two, right? Life to the full. And I want to say to you, those, those of you who are here tonight that have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want to exhort you to do that. I love that great verse in Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, what? Will be saved. You've got to act. Friends, if, you, if, if you've never come to Christ, you must act. And I want to say to the Christian tonight, God doesn't intend for us to sit back and, and just let life happen to us. That's not what sons and daughters of God are supposed to do. He doesn't intend for us to be passive and risk averse. He doesn't intend for us to simply dabble and splash. He means for us to get in the deep water. He means for us to let go of the lifeline. He means for us to really believe and really obey. That's what He's calling us to do, brothers and sisters. He's calling us to be proactive. He's calling us to be bold and daring and brave in doing the Word. It doesn't matter how risky it looks or how unsafe it looks. God means for us to act. He means for us to believe and He means for us to act. And I'm going to close with 1 Timothy 6.12. This is God's exhortation to you and to I and to me. Um, it's the words of Paul to Timothy. See how passive this sounds. See how risk-averse this sounds. Paul says to Timothy, Fight what? Fight the good fight. Friends, <laughs> we're not called to be passive. We're not called to dabble and splash. Paul says to Timothy, Fight the good fight. He says, Seize the eternal life that you were called to. Seize the day. Carpe diem. He says, seize it. Grab on to the life that God has infused into you and live it. God is calling us to live a big, God-sized life. He's calling us to act, to obey, to believe, to make Jesus famous in all the earth. Jesus is not always safe, but He is always life. And I just want to challenge you, Christian, tonight, when you leave here, when you leave here, I want you to live it like that. I want you to live your Christianity like that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the warning. Father, thank you for the warning.
necessary. And we know he's seeking to devour us. We know he, we know he has set a trap for us. Father, we, we know the world loves to see a Christian shrink back and be afraid and, and uh, to, lose, to lose faith, to, to doubt your goodness and your power. Oh God, we pray that we would not be Christians like that. Father, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit and we would be bold men and women of God. Lord, and as we talked about before, I know you didn't send any of us here for just a paycheck. You sent us here to do something in Milan for the glory of Jesus Christ. And, oh God, we offer ourselves to you. We offer this church to you. Father, we say and, and, and we plead, come and fill us with your Spirit and do a mighty and awesome work in this place. Father, it's our desire to see men and women come to Christ, for lives to be radically changed, for men and women to repent of their sin, to come and receive Christ, to come and receive life and joy. Oh, Father, help us to be what You've called us to be. Oh, God, we don't want to be dabblers and splashers. Father, give us the courage and the faith to let go of the lifeline, to swim in the deeps with Aslan, the Lion of Judah. Oh God, thank you for these few moments we've had together. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing our closing, our closing chorus. If you don't know it, you can hum along and tap your toe. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't have room to put it on the song sheet. So, uh, here we go. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts, oh, let the ancient words impart. Ancient words ever true, changing me. Great week. God bless. Yes, Sandy. Okay, Sandy wants to say something. No problem.